1: looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: It's still God allowing that to happen in your life, and that means He is ultimately sovereign. Now, for some of you, that's very hard, and I it's hard for me at times to know that God is so much in control. He's allowing, permitting, prescribing in my life. But now that's where you have to then, for a moment, lay aside his sovereignty, because that's where you're struggling with. God's in control, and he's going to make a mess. You've got to take that, and remember it's all part of the same diamond, and look at his love. That which he loves, he's not going to mess up. So what we have to do is look at ourselves through the eyes of God, not through our own eyes, watch this, and not through our own expectations of what we think God wants us to be or be like. It all begins and ends with God. And regardless of us understanding all of this, he has the right to do it. He can do anything he wants with us. He's God. No matter what we might go through when we leave this island, I'm so grateful that he at least had 11 years for us to be here with you people. That every one of you are going to go with us. And our minds, I can see your faces, what you've done over 11 years with us, for us, to us. You're in our hearts. You're in our prayers. I'm so thankful God did this for us right here. So if it all goes south when we get to the next place, I'm not going to question God there because all of it is good with God. He's sovereign. And I'm, (laughs) I am not special any more than you are. So God is always in control. Let's go to number four. God is always good to me. Now this is kind of difficult, so I'm going to take you through this context And then I'm going to give you a little phrase that might help you see how this works. God is always good to me. Scripture says, the psalmist, I will give thanks to you. Now, why is he giving thanks to the Lord? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Who made him? God made him. Where was he made? In a sense, physically, inward, outwardly, in his mother's womb. But who made him? Again, God. For I am fearfully and full of wonder made. Now, notice the next phrase. This always kills me. Wonderful are your works. So in a sense, David is saying, if I'm, one, if I'm wonderfully made, then I'm wonderful because I'm one of your works. So he was able to have a balanced self-image right here because he's not looking at himself through his own eyes. He's looking at the way God made him. And he says, God doesn't make junk. Therefore, I am wonderful the way God wants me. And what he didn't do here is he didn't compare himself to others. He accepted him just as he was. So if you let me go off in this brief little tangent... It still stays connected. That means if God made you a woman, celebrate that. If God made you a man, you celebrate that. If you're not certain which you are, it's not because God didn't know what he was doing that day and he just says, ah, forget it and you figure it out. There's something else behind the scenes that's going on and that is not a pejorative statement. That is a statement to say, let's see what we can do to figure this out together. Let's let's, let's sense something here. What's going on? Because we don't want to take God and throw him over here because we can't get this here. Let's see what we can do. So going back to this, you are wonderfully made. You're made whatever your particular intellect level is, whatever your ethnic background might be or combination thereof. God wanted you to be born. God has a plan for you. And that plan is filled with his wonder in your life. So God is always good to us. So go on to the verse. It says this, my frame was not hidden from you. You know, I look at this and I say, some of you are are built, you know, look at you guys. You know, you're like Flex Savage, you know, kind of like me. No, but, and and some of you are not so much, but your frame is whatever your frame is. I I don't have a very straight back. I can't figure out why. We've tried braces and everything other than breaking it and then running a truck over it. I don't know. I just, it's not going to get any better. And I could walk around and say, look at how ugly I am. Or I can say, this is who I am. This is the best I can do. I'll, I'll, I'll try to take care of my, my body, which is your temple God. I get it, but I've got to accept it and move on for him. And so we look at that. So he doesn't make junk. Let's go on. He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. That was kind of a term that the Jewish people would use to talk about the mother's womb. It was depths of the earth, the darkness, the, the womb-y kind of thing. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. That means before there was ever any part of me, God saw me. It's like a lot of you, you artists that are out there that do not look at another object and paint it, but you're looking at a blank canvas and you're saying, oh, I want to paint this, and you design it. It's like you people that are architects, you, can, you don't copy another building, you just have a blank sheet of paper right here with all the little boxes in there and you begin to design something. It's, you just see it in your mind and then all of a sudden it's there and then you build it all and there it comes together. And God did that with you and you and you and you and those that are listening on radio right now. You are that important to God, you are that divinely designed, before you ever had substance. So why would we abort some of that? And it says, and in your book, this is really gets touchy here, in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. That means God wrote my, my life, my biography, before I was born, when as yet there was not one of them. Isn't that cool? That God already wrote your biography. He already knows how and when and where you're going to expire. There's two things if I was to pass, how I would like to do it. One, when I go, my first choice is that the Lord would come for me. Out we go. The second would be while I'm preaching the word. So pay attention, this may be my last word. (laughs) But however it is, God already has that written down. What does that tell me? That tells me that nowhere does God endorse, encourage suicide. God has the keys to our own life and death. We now choose life, Scripture says. All right, so let him do that. That's so exciting. Before one of them were ever given to me. How special that is. And let me explain about this. God is always good to me because some of you might right now be suffering with cancer. Some of you might be suffering with a wayward child right now, a teenager. teenager. Some of you might be in a job that just seems to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Kind of like a pastor friend of mine named Ron. Ron called me this week and he said, Stan, I need you right now. I'm I'm crashing and burning and I'm the pastor of the church. The people of the church don't like my wife. The deacons say we like you, but tell your wife not to come back to church. They have a child that was born with Down syndrome. Severe Down syndrome. And they've been trying to work with this child that's now 40 years old. The wife doesn't want to go back to church. doesn't want to do ministry. She's an author of a Christian book. And he says, I don't know what to do. They're telling me that they will let me stay, but there's not enough money to pay me. So they're now kind of freezing me out. I say, what do I do? Now, as I go through this message... I can tell Him right now it's as dark as your life will be, as I can understand it to be, but God will not abandon you in one way. So we had a lengthy time of prayer going back over to the Word and learning how to be content by the Spirit of God and what we have. Not condoning the maltreatment of His wife or the insensitivity of being in ministry and having to rear a child with Down syndrome, but at the same time not becoming overwhelmed by all these problems. So I want you to know, he is really hurting. Now look up here if you will. One hand is going to represent the word harm, and the other hand is going to represent the word hurt. God may hurt you, or allow hurt to come into your life. Scriptural, there's many people that were hurt. Paul got hurt. All right, but harm, he doesn't do. What's the difference between being hurt and harmed? Being harmed means you are hindered from reaching your full potential. You're harmed, you're damaged goods from reaching your full potential. To define that, you have to say, what's my full potential? Now, that's where it gets really interesting. If I define my full potential as being a pastor of a growing and large, thriving church where everybody loves my wife and me and my daughter is doing real well, then we'll always feel harmed because we've then set our own expectation on what we believe is our full potential. What we have to do is rethink my full potential is whatever God wants me to do with whatever resources He gives me to, allows me to have in life, whether it's money, family, health, ministry, etc., whatever comes, as long as I am responding to that in a Christ-like way of trust in Him, no matter what that is, I have then reached my full potential. And I will have whatever rewards, and I believe there'll be a lot of rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, as much as a person who has great health, great kids, everybody's serving God, everybody in the church or ministry or business or life loves you, and things are just getting better and gooder and gooder all along, you could have the same amount because God doesn't harm you. Now, the hurt is something else. Hurt is something where life just kind of comes at you. We could have an accident going home that could change our life forever. You too. And you'll hurt from it. But if you think that God is harming you, then you miss the fact that God is always good to you because God has something for you, usually in this life, because to bring glory to him and everything, but for certain in the next life if you trusted Christ as Savior. Let me see if I can use it another way, a little more humorously. And if I have permission, I'd like to use Pastor Scott. You can stay there, but you're going to be part of this. And I think you'll like it. Okay, I hope you will. <clears throat> Let's say that Pastor Scott uh, had to get up from the audience Because he had a whale of a stomach ache. He's had it for two or three days and the pain is terrible. He's very nauseous right now. And um, as he goes out there, we find out that what has happened is he has a severe case of appendicitis. And it's so bad that they can't just give medicine. He's got to have it removed. Now, there are two people here today that I think could probably remove it very well. One would be one of our own doctors that are here. I don't want to embarrass that person. Could come in and knows exactly where the appendix is, knows how to administer all the right stuff to it to make it as safe as possible for a good recovery. The second person is me. No, 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 I got a knife. I I, I do, I do. I wouldn't use a pencil or something. I've seen these done on television before. You know, I'm a doctor. I watch all the doctor shows. Now, when I get in there, you know, I'm going (laughs) to... I think that's the appendix. It looks kind of funny. I grab that out and, you know, all that. Now, here's the difference. When I would perform surgery on your dear pastor, I would have harmed him because I don't know what I'm doing. The doctor would have performed surgery on him and would have helped him. Now, whether the doctor did it or I did it, it's still going to hurt. They may give you a little anesthesia, but it's still going to hurt. And so you're going through life right now, and the only thing that's different is whether you're going to fight the master physician and harm yourself. Or lay there in yieldedness and let him hurt you so that he can then help you get to your next level. So God is always good to you when he's large and in charge and you're letting him be so. Number five, God loves me unconditionally all the time. God loves me unconditionally all the time. That phrase, God loves me, everybody does that. Kids can sing that, but do you know he loves you unconditionally all the time. That means his grace is poured upon you and me even when we don't deserve it or feel it. It says here, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. That's not my thoughts toward God. It's God's thoughts towards me. That's cool. How precious also are your thoughts, God, that you have toward me. O God, how vast is the sum of them. Man, God, you've got a lot of good thoughts about me. If I should count them, how many would there be? They would outnumber the sand. Now, I love to preach this in a beachy community. I had someone look at our car. We had four people try to buy one of our cars, and I didn't even put it up. I didn't, we, even, we didn't put it up for sale. We had, we, we're selling our stuff to move, as you know. We, all of our stuff is basically gone. I mean, so basically gone, other than a bed that we have back there, is that I had to ask them not to take one lamp, otherwise we'd be in the dark at night in our house, and one little table so we could eat off of it. We had a guy come after dark last night and said, Hey, can I, I want to buy your car. He's been to our house three times. Can I buy your car? Okay, so as I look at all of this here, I have my car and I had the guy look at it, not the one last night, but another person. I said, oh, I'm so embarrassed because it's my beach car and a beach car has a lot of sand in the car. How many of you have a beach car with sand all in it? Raise your hand. All right, think about every little granule of sand. That's a thought of God. Now take that and go to the ocean and think of all the oceans on planet Earth and every granule of sand anywhere in the globe, every one of those is a thought that God has towards you according to the scripture. I don't want to be too literal, so I don't think he can be. I think just be... Look at it in the larger, it's just a, it's a vast statement that we might, it's a metaphor to say, God loves me so much, it's even more than the amount of sand that's out there. This guy is shouting victory right now. That's the good thoughts that God has toward you. So if, um, if a jerk comes up to you and calls you a, a dirty so-and-so, what do you care? God loves you. <laughs> so don't overreact with that stuff. Say, that's okay, God loves me. And hey, God loves me. God, the sovereign God of everything, loves me. And then sanctify and say, and you jerk, you don't, I don't care. God loves me. And so God cares for me. He knows everything. He says, when I awake, I'm still with you. I love that. When I awake, I'm still with you. You'll never know this until you've experienced it. I was five years old. I had to have some serious, serious reconstructive surgery. And in that, it was 1955, and they were putting me to sleep with ether, with the cloth over my, my face. It was in the hospital in, in Chicago, and they dropped ether into this cloth to put me out as a five-year-old boy. I remember this till the day I die, that I woke up scared to death from the surgery, but as I woke up, I was in a little crib bed so that the little children wouldn't roll out after surgery. I'm looking, I'm looking at bars like you're in prison sideways, and I'm blinking, and this is, I, I'm not exaggerating this one bit. I'm looking through the bars and I see my dad, rough and tough, hard to diaper, construction worker, dad. And he's looking at me through those bars, sitting in the chair. Nobody else was there. He was there every moment of my surgery before thereafter, the only one other than the medical people. And he's staring at me and he starts to, he looks up and he smiles and he starts yelling, nurse, 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 he's awake, he's, he's awake, he's awake. Now, that, so what, I'm awake. You know, big deal, we all wake up, you know. Until my dad said that whatever went wrong or whatever happened, they could not wake me and they were more concerned all the hours that I was not coming out of anesthesia. But I remember my dad was there. My dad was there at my graduation. My dad was there at my ordination. My dad was there when I woke up. My dad was there. And I'm not indicting any dads who are not there. What I am doing is exalting, exalting the Godfather who is always there. When you wake up, when you go to sleep, because he loves you. He cherishes you. He loves you individually. He loves you personally. He loves you at your best. He loves you at your worst. He loves you constantly. He loves you when you feel like he loves you. He loves you when you don't feel like he loves you. He loves you. He's the most important one to love you. And he did what no other human being could ever do. Is that through Jesus Christ he died on a cross a horrible, despicable death. He died for you and me. If Carol was uh, to be shot, I would jump in front of the bullet. I would do that for her. Why? I love her. She's invested 47 plus years into my life. She, I, 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 I go, go on and on. And, but that's easy to die for Carol. She loves me and I love her. But think for a moment of someone in my life who hates me, who actually brought this death that I have on myself, they brought it to me. They are now going to do everything they can to destroy my past reputation and keeping as many people in the whole world for as long as they can from ever embracing whatever future legacy that I would leave. They are so hell-bent against who I am. They hate me. And I know that I have to die for them so they could have eternal life. I couldn't do that. There's only one entity that couldn't, that's Jesus Christ. That's the love he has for you. So even if you're sitting here and you're listening and you're saying, but you don't know my past. You don't know what I did. You don't know what I should have done and I didn't do. You don't know that. I want you to know, I don't have to know that. I know he did it for others. He can do it for you and he has. That's how much love he has for you. So don't define God by your own belief system. It's easy to do. I've done it. But we define it by God's standard of His Word. And He says, He loves you just the way you are. Jesus died, did all the dirty work for you on the cross, and He offers to you a clean, eternal bill of health by faith alone. Well, let me end with the last point, and that's number six. God is more powerful than any adverse situation that comes my way. It does not say that God will remove that adverse situation that comes your way, but it does say that God is more powerful than it. It says, oh, that you should slay the wicked. Oh, God, depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. He's basically saying, God, you take over now. You're the powerful one. I can't do it. These guys got to get over here. Only God can vanquish my enemies, and he has done that, and our greatest enemy is going to be death because death is the door into eternity after we live. And that death door is either going to be heaven or hell, and so he has banished that, physical, uh, that spiritual death by us trusting in Christ as Savior. Let me see if I could end with this illustration. <clears throat> and we'll close. I, I'll give you that. So listen carefully. <clears throat> Everything I said about God here, all those six, seven attributes of him, you have to then see him from God's perspective. If I took out a match right now and I struck a match, we hardly ever use matches any longer, don't we? have all those little things to light our grill with, you know, but this is a match. And I struck the match and I held that match very carefully right up here to my eye, okay? I would smell the sulfur burning. Easy to feel the, the heat that's radiating from the flame. And as I would look at that match, I would see this flame and it would look like that I'm in the midst of a raging fire in this sanctuary right here because all I can see is this brilliant flickering flame in front of my eye that's so close. I could feel that heat and I can smell the sulfur and the smoke and I would think that any moment I'm either going to go to it and get burned or it's going to reach me and I'm going to die in this because I see this. But if I take that same burning match and I move it about three feet away from me, all of a sudden I say, whoa. That little flame is only about a half an inch high. I don't smell anything. I don't feel anything. It's just a little match. What's the difference? It's called perspective. If I bring it up close, I see my problem. If I separate it, I don't see it as bad, badly. And so what do I mean by that, about God? It's your perspective of God. If you see nothing but your problems, that means your God is really tiny. Because your problems are bigger than your God. So if you want to have smaller-looking problems, then you need to get a bigger God. And to get a bigger God is not to make him any bigger. It's to see yourself through the eyes of this great God that you have and to realize that your problems with God are very small in light of who he is and in light of eternity for you if you'll embrace that God. So when we uh, celebrate Palm Sunday in such a wonderful way of who he is, king of kings, all that, I want you to know that he is very special to you as an individual. So would you look at yourself through the eyes of God? Would you see yourself as a sinner who doesn't need this kind of God that's so great in your life, but yet this God wants to invade your life even as a sinner and pay for that sin by Jesus' death and resurrection? Would you simply trust Christ, trust in him? I pray that you would do that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you that moment to do that. So my question is, is how big is your God? If your problems are big, and they are, some more than others, some longer than others, some may never get away, it could be because our God is small to us. A bigger God in perspective also means that our problems will appear smaller. So how do we get a bigger God? It's our faith. So it's a matter of just taking that little simple step of faith, that childlike step of of faith, simple step of faith, and place it in Jesus Christ. For those of you that are out there and you're most concerned about where you will spend eternity upon death, I pray that you would understand that God loves you. He made you. You're in His mind before you were born. He gave you life. He's so desperately wanting to give you eternal life so you can have not only a relationship here with him but a relationship in eternity with him would you simply say Lord I want to thank you for being God I want to thank you for maximizing all of your attributes in my life I want to thank you that you went to the cross to pay for my sins so that I could have eternal life by simple faith alone in you and not by my works I'll never do enough never could do enough to earn your favor so I come to you as a broken individual looking to you the maker of me To remake me again. I'm trusting in you. And those of us who are Christians. I don't know what you're going to face tomorrow. I don't know when you're going to get the call. To have to then change your life. I don't know when something will happen in the next 24 hours. But I want you to know God does. And what kind of God does? A God who loves you. A God who's faithful to you. A God who'll provide for you. A God who'll protect you. A God who loves you a God who knows you, a God who is faithful and will always have you in his presence. That kind of God is a God worth worshiping, trusting, and at the same time, doing whatever he wants us to do. What a great God he is. And then to tell others about him. And God has given us this great opportunity to invite people even next week to come to hear this message of love And so I encourage you now to embrace this God in your own heart as a believer in Christ, but then to make him known to others of how great he is. Now, Father, we just thank you that you love us the way we are, but you also love us enough to take us to the next level. And I pray that today that we would know you more intimately, serve you more faithfully, love you more cheerfully. Father, I just thank you so much for your word And now, Father, let it now take root within us to change us from the inside out. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.